podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so, so much for listening. I have three parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our latest Femenile match, which was against Juventus on Saturday. In part two, I'll review our latest Primavera match, which was against Asuolo on Sunday, and in part 3, I'll get you up to speed on all of the latest news around Napoli. So let's begin with the Femenile, who like I said, played against Juve on Saturday. Juventus came into this match once again sitting at the top of the table, but that lead had slowly deteriorated over the last few rounds. At the end of match day 12, Juve were 8 points clear of Roma in second, but heading into this round, that gap had been reduced to only 3 points. That's because Juve dropped points in three of their previous four matches, which is shocking for a club that had a perfect record last season. First, they drew Fiorentina 2-2 on match day 13. Then they beat the bottom of the table Hellas Verona by a score of only 1-0. On match day 15, they were upset by Empoli, who defeated them 2-1. That was their first loss in about three years. And finally, on match day 16, they drew Roma. The draw against Roma was actually a good result though because that is the team that is chasing them for the title. Juve have the deepest squad in the league but I think the schedule is starting to take its toll. They're the only Italian club competing in three different competitions. In addition to Serie A, they're in the quarterfinals of the Champions League and they're in the semifinals of the Coppa Italia Femminile. However, because that lead had been reduced, Juve weren't able to rotate their squad as much as they typically do when they play against us. Meanwhile, we had a number of players out of the squad, both Evi Popedinov and Depi Nicolao continued to recover from long-term knee injuries. Saratui, Lana Golob, and Paola Di Marino were also left out of the squad, though the club did not indicate why, they simply said that they were absent. There were a few things worth noting before this match, the first was that Sofia Colombo was named the best young player of the 2020-21 season. That award was granted by the president of Odecosp, Alfonso Marone. The other story that was really nice to see was that 50 Ukrainian refugees were hosted at the match, all of whom were mothers and children. The idea there was to give them a moment of leisure and perhaps a distraction away from what has obviously been a very difficult time for them. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Juve lined up in a 4-3-3 formation with Pauline Peromanin in goal. Linda Sembrandt and Sara Gama started at centre-back, Lisa Boatin started at left-back, and Tuya Hirinen started at right-back. My fellow Canadian Julia Grosso started in the centre of the midfield with Sophie Pedersen to her left and Ariana Caruso to her right. Amanda Nilden started on the left wing, Lina Hurtig started on the right wing, and Claudia Girelli started at striker. For Napoli, Domenichetti and Castorina made a few changes to the squad that they fielded against Milan. They also changed to a very defensive 4-5-1 formation with Raquel Baldi in goal. With the goal lobe out, Hedin Corrado started at centre-back alongside Emily Garnier. Marie Awone started at left-back and Sedia Bramson started at right-back. Martina Tognolo started at left-wing-back and Kaya Ertsen started at right-wing-back. 
Emma Eriko started in the center of the midfield with Claudia Mauri to her left and Sofia Colombo to her right. And finally, Sole James started at striker. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match. Unfortunately, this was a dominant performance by Juventus. They were in complete control of the match from start to finish. They kept the ball and they controlled the tempo of the match. They were patient in their buildup, waiting for the right opportunities to progress the ball forward. And as a result, they had all the opportunities to score. They primarily attacked through the wings and they had a lot of success in doing so. Their first chance of the match came from a cross by Nielden from the left wing in the 7th minute. Hiernan made good contact on the volley, but the shot finished just wide of the far post. Then about 10 minutes later, Hurtig had a decent chance. She played an incisive pass to Caruso at the edge of the area. Caruso was tackled off the ball by Garnier, but Hurtig continued her run and was first to the ball. She went for goal from outside the area, but the shot was always rising and ultimately finished well over the bar. Unfortunately, only a few minutes later, Juve took the lead and they made it look far too easy. As I mentioned, Juve were patiently working the ball around and as soon as they saw the opportunity, they picked us apart. Girelli played a perfectly weighted through ball to Nielden in the area. She played a low ball towards the back post where Hurte got behind Corrado for the tap in into the empty goal. Besides the pass by Girelli, the key to this goal was the off the ball movement from Nielden and Hurtig. After the goal, Juve went back to controlling the match and for that reason, they didn't get their next opportunity to score until about 5 minutes before the break. Grosso made a great play to dribble around Eriko at the left corner of the area. She squared the ball to Boatin at the edge of the area. Boatin put an excellent shot on target, but Baldi made a fantastic save. Then on the ensuing corner kick, Caruso went short to Boatin. She played the ball back to Caruso and then Caruso crossed the ball into the area. Girelli won the header, but Baldi made another save. Meanwhile, Napoli were only able to create a couple of half chances. In the 12th minute, Ertzen crossed the ball into the area from the left wing. Maudi won the header, but she didn't get much on it, and Manin made the easy save. Then just before the half, Ertzen made a lovely run dribbling past Boatin to get into the area. Then she dribbled by Gamma before she appeared to be fouled by Sembrandt, but the penalty wasn't given. That's literally all that we created in the half, but it was largely due to how well Juve defended and counterpressed. They kept their structure really well, and as soon as they lost the ball, two or three players were pressing to win it back, which they often did. Nevertheless, we went into the break with a respectable scoreline down 1-0. The second half was basically more of the same. Other than a couple of weak efforts by Tognolo and Eriko from distance, we did not create anything in the attack. Juve continued to dictate the tempo and they continued to create all the chances. In fact, they created more chances in the second half than they did in the first. They had a great chance to double their lead about 5 minutes after the restart, after Caruso made a lovely touch towards the byline on the right side. She played a low cross to Girelli in the 6-yard box, but she got under the ball and put it over the bar. A few minutes later, Caruso came close after a great run by Grosso from midfield, but Baldi got a touch on it to force the corner kick. Juve continued to push for a second. In the 70th minute, Girelli played a clever back heel from the throw-in to pick out Chernoya on the left wing. She carried the ball into the area before cutting it back to Caruso, but Abramson made an important block. But on the ensuing corner kick, Juve got that second goal. Grosso played the ball to Pedersen at the edge of the area. She played the extra pass out wide to Girelli, who played a low ball across the face of the goal with her left. It was basically the same ball that Nilden played on the first goal, but from the opposite side. This time, Caruso was waiting for the tap-in to make the score 2-0. 
Both teams made their changes, and that's where we saw the strength in the depth of the Juve squad. They brought in Agnese Bonfantini, Valentina Cernoia, Anahita Zamanyan, and Martina Rosucci, and all of them made their presences known, especially Zamanyan. In the 76th minute, Mauri was closed down by both Zamanyan and Rosucci. Zamanyan won the ball and played it wide to Rosucci on the right side. She crossed the ball into the area and Girelli won the header but Baldi made another save. As I said, Juventus attacked predominantly through the wings. A minute later, Zamanyan slipped the ball through to Hiranin on the right wing. She crossed the ball into the area and this time Grosso won the header but she got under the ball and it finished over the bar. It was basically chance after chance for Juve in the final 15 minutes. In the 79th minute, Bonfantini intercepted a pass at midfield. She played Zamanyan through on the right side of the area. Zamanyan went for goal this time, but Baldi got just enough of the shot to deflect it off the outside of the goal. Zamanyan was back at it a minute later. She played the ball back out of the Napoli area to Rozucci. She made a lovely drop of the shoulder to get past Akuti and Mauri before going for goal, but once again Baldi made the save. Finally, in the 86th minute, Cernoia played the ball in from the left wing to Zamanyan. She played Bonfantini through, and though her square ball was behind Lundorf, the substitute got to the ball first, turned, and got a decent shot off, but it finished just over the bar. So as you can see, this was a pretty one-sided affair, and we were probably fortunate to lose only 2-0. Really, the only positive for us was the play of Raquel Baldi in goal. She was actually named to the Serie A team of the week and deservedly so, we probably would have lost 3 or 4 nil if it hadn't been for her. Not only did we lose this match, the other results didn't go our way either. Fiorentina absolutely destroyed Hellas Verona 6-0 and amply managed to draw Sassuolo. As a result, we've fallen back into the relegation zone, 3 points back of Fiorentina and 4 points back of Empoli and Pomigliano. Those head-to-head -head matches against Empoli and Pomigliano, which are the final two matches of the season, are going to be massive. Meanwhile, it was a very good week for Juventus. After beating us, they went on to beat Lyon in the first leg of their Champions League quarterfinal. That was a huge result for Juve against one of the best women's teams in the world and in the Champions League. And I'm happy for them. I was talking to a friend, Mike DeChico, about this and how in the women's game, I don't feel the same hatred or rivalry even towards Juventus. My explanation was that there's such a big gap in quality between the two sides that were not competitive and also that in the women's game, Serie A is the 7th ranked league so any success in the Champions League is good for the league. Now I know that's a hot topic debate in the men's game whether you should cheer for Italian rivals in European competitions. Mike made a good point as well which was that the women have to stick together in the fight for equity which makes it harder to hate your opponent. So congratulations to Juventus. They still have plenty of work to do, but I for one would be happy if they reached the semifinals. Meanwhile, our women will be back in action on Sunday to take on 6th place Sampdoria. That will do for part 1. In part 2, we'll review our latest Primavera match. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to part 2 of the Fort Sinopoli podcast. 
Next, let's review our Primavera match against Sassuolo on Sunday. Sassuolo came into this match sitting in 7th in the table, tied with Atalanta on 36 points. That was 2 points behind Sampdoria and 1 point behind Juventus in the last 2 playoff positions. Juventus have a game in hand against Hellas Verona, so it's potentially 4 points back of Juve and 2 back of Sampdoria, which meant that this match was just as important to Sassuolo as it was to us. Sassuolo have been fairly inconsistent this season, particularly in the calendar year. They started 2022 with a win over Pescara. They didn't win any of their next four, though admittedly those were some tough matches. They lost to Juve, drew Atalanta, lost to Milan, and then drew Roma. Then Sassuolo won three straight matches before losing to Torino and Lecce ahead of this match. Sassuolo coach Emiliano Bijica was without a few players for this match. Center backs Kevin Miranda and Enea Chehu were both suspended after being sent off during the match against Lecce. In fact, Bijica himself was suspended, so he had to sit in the stands for this one, which realistically didn't make that much of a difference. If anything, it was an advantage because the stands are only a few meters away from the touchline, and he could walk up and down the entire length of the pitch while Frustalupi was limited to his technical area. Bijica was also without right winger Brian O'Day, who's been permanently called up to the senior team. Meanwhile, Nicolo Frustalupi was missing a few players as well. He had to cope with a suspended player of his own. Apparently, Daniel Hisai had some choice words for the match official after the Pescara match. He was subsequently handed a two-match ban, meaning he was not available for this match, and he will not be available for the next one, which is against Torino after the international break. Both starting wingbacks, Enrico Giannini and Matteo Marchisano, were out due to injury, the latter dealing with tightness in his calf. Finally, Musa Mane remained out with the injury that he suffered against Atalanta. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Sassuolo lined up in a 4-3-3 with Samuele Vitale in goal. Ryan Flamingo and Seb Loefen started at centre-back. Christian Macchioni played at left-back and Jefferson Paz played at right-back. Endri Zenelai played as the Regista in behind Amadou Toure and Christian Aucelli. Asan Mata played on the left wing, Luca D'Andrea played on the right wing, and Luigi Samella started at striker. For Napoli, Frustalupi made three changes to the squad that he fielded against Pescara midweek. He lined up in his usual 3-4-2-1 formation with Hubert Idasic back in goal. Idasic was with the senior team for the match against Udinese on Saturday, and then I assume he flew to Reggio Emilia for this match, it's about a 7 hour drive from Napoli. With Daniel Hisai suspended and Musa Mane injured, Pasquale Pontillo started in the back 3 alongside Davide Costanzo and Benedetto Barba. Francesco Gioielli and Colisacco started again in the center of the midfield. Francesco De Marco played at left wing back and Giuseppe D'Agostino dropped to start at right wing back with Marquisano hurt. Antonio Cioffi dropped to play as one of the two trequartisti alongside Antonio Vergara and Giuseppe Ambrosino returned to start at striker. So in effect, Ambrosino started over Marquisano, but a bunch of players shuffled around to make it work. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match. Sassuolo got off to a good start, and they were in control for about the first 20 minutes or so. They got their first chance only a few minutes into the match after a give-and-go between Toure and Paz. Toure played a dangerous cross into the area with Samele lurking, but Idasic was able to push the ball away just before the Sassuolo striker got there. Sassuolo won two corner kicks in the opening five minutes, and for that period, they were controlling the run of play. The ball was mostly in our half. One thing that was frustrating to watch was the Sassuolo players constantly throwing themselves to ground in the area, looking for penalties. 
Unfortunately, they were awarded a penalty in the 10th minute, though in that case, I think the official made the right decision. Barba did a poor job of clearing Ocelli's cross from the left wing. Toure got to the ball just before DeMarco, and DeMarco left his leg in, catching Toure late. Flamingo took the penalty and sent Idasiak the other way to put the Nero Verde ahead. That was the seventh goal this season for the center back. Sassuolo probably should have doubled their lead a few minutes later. D'Andrea did really well to dribble out of the back before switching the play to Alcelli. He played the ball out wide to Macchioni, who crossed the ball from the left wing. Barba reached back to block the cross, but the ball popped up in the air and fell to Mata. He had a free shot from the edge of the six yard box but somehow he put the shot well over the bar. It took a while for the Azzurini to get into the game. We were on our heels until about the midway point of the half. Then we managed to sustain about 10 minutes of pressure in the Sassuolo half. We were only able to manage a few half chances though in the 22nd minute, DeMarco crossed the ball into the area, but it was just out of the reach of Ambrosino. Our best chance came from a corner kick about five minutes before the break. Vergara played a low ball to D'Agostino at the corner of the area, but his first time hit finished well over the bar. Sassuolo had another great chance to go 2-0 up just before the half. Ambrosino appeared to be fouled in the Sassuolo half, but he did not get the call. Sassuolo immediately countered with Paz picking up the ball around midfield and charging forward. He ran straight past Costanzo to get into the area before squeezing a pass between Barba and Pontillo. Fortunately, Samele overran the ball and the half finished 1-0 in favor of Sassuolo. Napoli looked much better at the start of the second half. We got our first shot on target only five minutes after the restart. Vergara played the ball out wide to Chofi. He ran towards the top of the box and put a decent effort on target from about 25 yards out. The shot had a bit of dip on it, so Vitale could only push it out for a corner kick. Sassuolo responded five minutes later with an excellent chance of their own. Samele won the long ball at midfield and flicked the ball to Mata. He played a clever through ball to Alcelli, who outran Sacco to get clear on goal. Alcelli had only Idasiak to beat, but his shot finished just wide of the far post. Now we were really fortunate again there because if Alcelli had glanced up, he would have seen D'Andrea wide open in front of the empty goal. One thing we improved on in the second half was the accuracy of our passing. We had a number of passes in the first half from Trophy, Costanzo and others go straight out of play. We seem to address that in the second half in part by playing simpler passes. That paid off in the 62nd minute. Sacco dispossessed Alcelli just inside the Sassuolo half. D'Agostino collected the loose ball and carried it to the edge of the area before laying it off to Ambrosino. Ambrosino took it from there. He took on Macchioni 1v1, dropped his shoulder, took a quick touch to his right and blasted a shot past Vitale into the top corner at the near post. That was Ambrosino's 14th goal of the campaign, extending his lead in the race for Capocannoniere to two goals over Sampdoria's Lorenzo Di Stefano. Napoli looked like the more positive side immediately after the goal, and then both sides had chances in the final 15 minutes. A couple of Sassuolo substitutes combined to create a chance in the 78th minute. Alessio Arcopinto was fouled at midfield by Vergara, but the official played a smart advantage. Vincenzo Ferrara played the ball to Michele Forchignone on the left side of the area. He cut into the right and tried to pick the bottom corner, but the shot finished just wide of the mark. Napoli got a chance a few minutes later after Sacco blocked Macchioni's clearance at the edge of the Sassuolo area. The ball ricocheted off of Leofen and fell back on the foot of Sacco, but Vitale was quick off his line to block the shot. Besides the goal, our best chance of the second half came in the first minute of stoppage time. 
Barba played a long ball forward, which substitute Pasquale Maranzino took down at the edge of the area. He played the ball out wide to another substitute in Davida Acampa, who crossed the ball into the area. Sacco rose up and put a powerful header on target, but Vitale made a fantastic reaction save. The rebound fell to D'Agostino at the second post, and Vitale stopped his volley from a tight angle as well. Sassuolo had two final chances before the triple whistle. Both chances were low shots from the left side of the area, and both times Idasic made the save. Those were the final chances of the match, which finished in a 1-1 draw. I thought that was a fair result for how the match played out. This was our third consecutive draw, but it was certainly the most positive. We blew a 2-0 lead to Empoli, conceding twice in the final 10 minutes of that match. Then we drew the last place team in Pescara. Now, we did come from behind twice in that match, but you do expect more against the bottom of the table club, and we really lacked energy in that match. That's why this felt like the most positive result, because we came back against a much stronger club, and we had a lot more energy. Elsewhere in the league, Milan beat Hellas Verona and Empoli beat Lecce, so with the draw, we actually added a point between us and the two clubs in the relegation playout. That means we are currently four points clear of the playout zone, but we really need Juventus to beat Hellas Verona when they play their game in hand. If Hellas Verona win, we could be only one point clear of three teams all tied on points, with one of them being in the playout. That's because Bologna lost to Cagliari and Genoa lost to Juventus, so we also gained a point on each of them. They are both on 30 points and we are on 31. So other than Empoli winning, albeit at the expense of Lecce, this turned out to be a very good round for us. The Azzurini are now off for the international break, but they will be back in action on the weekend of April 1st for that match against Torino. That will do for part 2. In part 3, we'll cover the latest news. Welcome to part 3 of the Forza Napoli podcast. We'll close the pod with a review of the latest news around Napoli, and there is only one place to begin, which is with the international break. Napoli have 9 or 10 players away on international duty, two of whom were with the Italian national team. I don't want to spend too much time on this because I think most people are probably already sick to death of the subject, but I do have a couple of comments on the two Napoli players. On Lorenzo Insigne, I fully expected him to start the match against North Macedonia, but I don't think he should have. We all know that Insigne has been out of form for a while now. He's had good moments here and there, most notably the goal he scored against Hellas Verona, which was his first from open play this season, but otherwise it has not been a great season for him. I've been hoping for him to turn the corner all season, and he just has not. I thought his play would improve after his contract negotiation was settled, but it didn't. Then I thought his play would improve after he scored that goal against Hellas Verona, but again it didn't. On Thursday, I was hoping the national team could give him a boost, but after that performance and the ensuing media backlash, I'm not so sure he'll recover from this. He got a 4 in the report cards, and Gazzetta had some pretty harsh words for him the following day. They wrote, it is him with his technique with the number 10 jersey who should take Italy, carry, invent, create, surprise. Instead, he is passive, almost ready for Canada, which I'm not sure if I should be insulted by considering I live in Canada. <laughs> Meanwhile, Matteo Politano was in the squad, but he did not feature in the match. I know a lot of people were saying that he would have taken the big chance that Berardi missed, and maybe he would have, but I actually thought Berardi was one of our better players. 
I would have liked to see Politano at least get a chance off the bench. You know he would have given 150% just to prove his worth to the team, so that was definitely a bit disappointing. Instead, he'll probably play in Italy's meaningless friendly against Turkey on Tuesday. I'm sure for Matteo, it'll still be an honor to wear the national team shirt, but as a Napoli fan, I just view that as an opportunity for him to get hurt. Of course, Elif Elmas was at the match, but he did not play because he was suspended. I will certainly be cheering for him to beat Portugal in his playoff final to get to the World Cup. We had a few other players involved in meaningful matches as well. Both Chucky Lozano and David Ospina played in World Cup qualifiers in their respective confederations. Lozano represented Mexico in a very important CONCACAF match against the United States. That was a battle between the second and third place teams in the group. Of course, my home country of Canada is top of the table. The Mexico game finished 0-0, which I was thrilled about because Canada lost 1-0 to Costa Rica after a ridiculous sending off in the first half. That means Canada is still top of the group and would guarantee themselves World Cup qualification with a draw against Jamaica on Sunday. Most likely, all three of Canada, the USA, and Mexico will qualify. There are two matches remaining in the round. Mexico still have to play against Honduras on Sunday and El Salvador on Wednesday. Meanwhile, David Ospina picked up his 60th clean sheet in his career as Colombia's goalkeeper, and it might have been the easiest of them all. Bolivia did not manage a single shot attempt in the match, let alone a shot on target. Colombia have one match remaining in Conimbal qualifying. It's against bottom of the table Venezuela, so most likely they will win it, but they will also need Peru to drop points if they want to advance to the next stage. That would get them into the next stage of qualifying, which is the best that Colombia can do at this point. The four automatic qualification spots have already been clinched by Brazil, Argentina, Ecuador, and Uruguay. In Africa, we have two players representing their countries in World Cup qualifiers. Victor Osman is back with the Super Eagles to play against Ghana, while Kalidou Koulibaly leads the African champion Senegal in their playoff against Egypt, which is a rematch of the Cup of Nations final. Both of these playoffs will be played over two legs. The first legs are happening while I record this pod, so I don't know the final results yet. What I can tell you is both Osiman and Koulibaly started for their respective countries. Nigeria are tied 0-0 with about 10 minutes left to play, while Senegal is down 1-0 on an own goal. The second legs for both of those teams is on Tuesday. Finally, we had a couple of players away for international friendlies. Piotr Zielinski played 71 minutes in Poland's 1-1 friendly draw against Scotland. Poland will also be back in action on Tuesday for a friendly against Sweden. And Amir Rachmani was on the bench for Kosovo's 5-0 win over Burkina Faso. Kosovo play another friendly on Tuesday against Switzerland. Surprisingly, despite having a fantastic season, Fabian Ruiz was snubbed again by Luis Enrique. Now, I know Spain have a wealth of talent in the midfield, but surely Fabian was deserving of a call-up. Meanwhile, the rest of the team were either recovering from injury or were back at Castel Volturno preparing for the match against Atalanta. We have five players recovering from injury. Andre Frank Zamboangisa suffered a resentment in his left thigh, so he was not available for Cameroon's match against Algeria on Friday. However, he is expected to be available for the Atalanta match. Adam Unas missed that match as well for Algeria. He's been dealing with fatigue in his left thigh. That's what caused him to miss the match against Udinese. But like Anguisa, he should be ready to go for Atalanta. Andrea Petania also has a thigh injury, which will keep him out for the Atalanta match. And as we've previously discussed, Giovanni Di Lorenzo has a second-degree knee strain. 
Finally, Alex Meret continues to recover from his back injury, but if you're inclined to believe Tuto Sport, he could be back on the bench for the Atalanta match. Even Luciano Spalletti hasn't been at his best. He missed training on Thursday with a bout of the flu. However, he's tested negative for COVID, so hopefully he'll be back at training soon. So it sounds like Petania and Di Lorenzo are the only players who will not be available for the Atalanta match. That's led to quite a bit of speculation as to who will start at right back. One option is Alessandro Zanoli, who spoke to Radio Kiss Kiss on Friday. I thought this was a great interview. He was very mature in his responses. And as you might expect, he spoke highly of many of the people around him. He said he's learning a lot under Spalletti and he'll always be grateful to him for that. He said Juntoli is like a second father to him because he's known him for so long and Juntoli has always had faith in him. He called Di Lorenzo an inspiration, one of the best in Europe at his position, and he said he tries to steal or copy his every movement. And he said Juan Jesus is like an older brother to him. He said he and Jesus go to the pitch together and they often have dinner together as well, along with Patania. They also sit close to each other in the locker room, so they definitely have a close relationship. That could be another reason to extend Jesus' contract. According to Nico Skira, Napoli is working to extend Jesus' contract to 2024. Let's move on to some transfer rumors next. With Insigne leaving and uncertainty surrounding the future of players like Mertens, Fabian, and Ospina, we could see a bit of a revolution in the summer. As a result, we're linked to a number of players. Now, I know most people don't want to hear about transfer rumors until the season has ended, especially since we're competing for the Scudetto. But the reality is these discussions are ongoing throughout the year. However, most rumors at this stage are either pure speculation or they're in the preliminary stages. So I won't profile these players just yet. For now, I'll just list some of the players that we're linked to. Corriere dello Sport has given us five potential replacements for Insignia on the left wing. The first is soon-to-be 23-year-old Luis Sinistera. The Colombian has scored 18 goals in all competitions for Fire Nord this season, 10 in the Eredivisie. Next is Club Brugge's 21-year-old winger Charles de Quetelaire. He has 17 goals this season, 13 in the Belgian Jupiler League. We've also been linked to his teammate Noah Lang. The 23-year-old has 6 goals and 12 assists for Brugge this season. The fourth player is Dinamo Batumi's Kvicha Varashkelia. The 21-year-old plays in the Georgian top flight. Finally, there's Real Sociedad's Adnan Yanuzai. He's been linked to a number of clubs because his contract with Sociedad expires this summer. I think there will be a lot of competition for him, and that makes me think he is less likely to join Napoli. In a separate report, Corriere linked us to a couple more options who both play for Sassuolo in Hamid Jr. Traore and Domenico Berardi. I love both of these players, but it's hard to expect us to purchase anyone from Sassuolo. The prices they charge us always seem to be double what anyone else pays. They wanted 40 million euros for Jeremy Boga, and then a year later they sold him to Atalanta for something like 18 million euros. Meanwhile, Juventus are somehow able to sign Manuel Locatelli on a two-year loan with obligation to buy. Berardi would likely cost somewhere in the 30 to 40 million euro range. Now, he's a right winger, but the logic is that Lozano would shift over to be on the left wing. Personally, I don't see this happening. I don't think De Laurentiis would spend more than 30 million on Berardi when we already have Politano to play on the right wing. So to me, the only way this makes sense is if we sell Politano, but there's been no indication that that is the plan. A player I would love to have in that position is Jared De Lofeu. He's having a fantastic season and we've just seen firsthand how good he is. He leads Udinese in scoring and we have a good relationship with Udinese. 
Alan Zielinski, and I believe Meret were all purchased from Udinese. His agent, Albert Botinez, spoke to Radio Marte earlier this week. He confirmed that there have been discussions with Napoli in the past, but Delefeu had just suffered a serious injury, so the timing wasn't right. Another option for the left wing is Gianluca Gaetano, who's currently on loan at Cremonese. Gaetano has played really well in Serie B this season. He might have just surpassed Alessio Zerbin as one of our most promising youngsters out on loan. Finally, Calcio Napoli 24 reports that Napoli is monitoring 17-year-old midfielder Tommaso Berti. He's currently playing for Cesena in Serie C and he has attracted the interest of other clubs, including Milan and Sassuolo. We'll close the news with a bit of a rapid fire on some of the other stories around the club. Gazzetta dello Sport recently published some financial data for the 2020-21 campaign. I believe we reported on this, but just to reiterate, Napoli ranked 5th in revenue at 179.4 million euros. However, we were also 5th in costs at 305.5 million euros. Fortunately, we made capital gains of 47.6 million, which was 2nd only to Udinese. As a result, we reported net losses of 58.9 million euros, and I previously reported that through some creative accounting rules, we were able to offset that with the brand value of Napoli. The losses are pretty consistent across the league, though according to Gazzetta, the league lost just over a billion euros last season. Only two clubs, Atalanta and Hellas Verona, reported profits that season, and only three clubs, Fiorentina, Napoli, and Spezia, have no debt. Sticking with the finances, the club was fined 5,000 euros, and Edo De Laurentiis was fined another 5,000 euros after the Napoli vice president went onto the field of play at halftime of the Udinese match. In the meantime, while his son is costing the club money, Aurelio is hustling to find ways to bring money into the club. One proposal he's put forward is to move the Serie A tournament that was scheduled to be played in the USA during the World Cup to Abu Dhabi. According to De Laurentiis, that deal could fetch up to 120 million euros over three years. Finally, you might have heard that on Wednesday, someone crashed their car through the front gate at Castel Volturno. This happened just before the afternoon training session, while the players were fortunately still in the locker room. The man headed toward the fields, presumably looking for players, but he did not find any there. Then he ran away while under pursuit of the Carabinieri. So that will do for the news. That will also do for this episode. If you like what you heard, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Napoli Pod. Be sure to check out our Twitter page for our latest Napolitan song of the week. This week's song is Capone e Bundbankt, Si Tenevaye. I absolutely love the sound of their music. If you're wondering why they have such a unique sound, it's because they make all of their instruments out of recycled materials, which you can see in the video. They make it very clear on their website that this has nothing to do with the waste emergency in Campania. The founder of the band Maurizio Capone says that his passion was inspired by his nonna, his grandmother, who had a hobby of building dolls out of items that were destined for the bin. She was also the person who suggested he apply this practice to music, which I think is very cool. So be sure to check that out. I will be back next week with a special bonus pod to help you get through the international break, so stay tuned for that. But until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre!
Podcast Network.